Okay, Matthew 7, 21, starting in verse 23. All right, this is the Word of God. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. All right, let's pray. Father God, this passage, Lord, is probably one of the most frightening passages that I can, I can think of in this, path, in this Bible, Lord. And Father, it's probably one of the most loving passages that we can read. Lord God, you are warning us of something, God, that is a reality, Lord. And that you don't want us to be in this position. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you want to tell us the truth. And God, this morning, uh, may you use a broken vessel like me, Lord, to be able to explain, to be able to share your word. and that all of us, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, Lord. Uh, just as much as you speak, uh, you've spoken to me the past few weeks as I've been preparing. We pray, Father, that you would help those that are hearing uh, this word, Lord, uh, to, to be able to yeah, really reflect on their life, Father. So we want to thank you. Uh, thank you for your precious word. May you be with us uh, this time. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. All right. All right, so... Everybody has fears, right? Everybody has something that they're afraid of. Um, I was looking up a list of, uh, done by National Institute of Mental Health in 2012, and they polled, pe- you know, what were the top fears that people had in their lives? Can anybody guess the top three? Public speaking, right? Number one, right? Public speaking, 74% uh, of the people said that they were afraid of public speaking. What else? Do you guys think of the other two? Death, right? right number, uh, that came number two. All right, death was number two at 68%. I don't know if you guys heard the joke by Jerry Seinfeld. That's why he said that the average person, when they're at a funeral, they'd rather be in the coffin than given the eulogy. Right? Because right, everybody's afraid of public speaking, right? And number three, you know, it's probably not the best if you have this fear in living in Japan, right? You guys have any guess? Spiders, right? 30%, right? Any of you guys live out in town? You guys see those big old spiders here? Right? It's summertime, right? It's really bad. I know Anise and I, especially Anise, she does not like Japan during the summer because of the spiders. Right? And so all of us, actually for me, I have, I have these fears in various degrees. And the thing is, though, my biggest fear is not even on this list. Right? My biggest fear is not even, doesn't even make the top ten. And the thing is, I think most Christians should have a healthy fear of this, right? Uh, should have a healthy fear of this. And what this is, is that, you know, my greatest fear is for Matthew 7 to describe me. Right? My greatest fear is that when we get to, the hev- uh, to heaven, when we get to, uh, when we face God at the end of our lives, right? When we think that we're going into heaven, but re- in reality, we're not. Right? That is, to me, probably one of the scariest things that I can think of. Because the thing is, I know myself. Right? I know even before I became a Christian in high school, and a- even afterwards, I-, I always had a fear of man. Right? I always wanted to please people. Right? I wanted to fit in. 
I wanted to find a group where I belong. And the thing is, that's not a bad thing. Right? I think all of us were created as uh, relational creatures. God created us that way. But the thing is, I see myself doing things just to fit in. Doing things just to find a community. And I question myself sometimes. Like, am I really a Christian because I believe this word to be true? Or do I like you know, the social aspect of it? You know, I love the potlucks. I love getting together with people. I love being able to be part of a community. Even when Anissa and I um, moved here uh, from San Diego, you know, we, were, we went to college there, and I got married and started working there, and we lived there for uh, nine years. And during that time, we had a great community. And one of the things that I was telling Anise was that, you know, when we moved to Japan, that's one thing I really want to see is when we are away from our friends and family, when we're away from our Christian bubble, are we still going to be walking with the Lord? Are we still going to be finding a solid church to be able to be involved? Or are we just going to fill that void with something else? You know, maybe go on base and find all these clubs that, to join and get that instead. And the sad part is, you know, when we read this passage, we realize that you know, I'm not alone, right? I'm not alone that, that, uh, with this tendency. There's a lot of people that are going to be faced with this reality when they think that they're a Christian, and really they're not. All right, let's take a look closely. All right, Matthew 7, it talks about many people, right? It's not just myself, but there's going to be many people who think that they are saved, but they're in for the shock of their lives. Right, um, if you look with me in verse 22, right, it, it, it talks about the setting. Okay? Uh, it, it says that in verse 22, Many will say to me in that day. All right? Obviously that day is talking about the day of judgment. Right? When we all come before the Lord. And actually Matthew 25:31 gives us a more detailed description about that day. All right, so can you turn with me to Matthew 25, 31 to 33? Matthew 25, 31 to 33. All right, I have it up here. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one, from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place on his right, uh, the, he'll place the sheep on his right, excuse me, but on the goats, the goats on his left. Alright? And so here, this is describing in detail what that day is going to look like. Right? The Son of Man is going to be coming not as a baby. Right? Not as like the first time where he came in a little baby in a manger, but he's going to be coming in full glory. All right? Fully God. He's going to be coming and he is going to be, it's going to be like the uh, transfiguration, right? We are going to be, not even be able to look at him because it, he's going to be in full glory. And not just him, well, who does he bring? All his angels, right? If you can imagine that. Jesus coming in full glory, all his angels behind him. And where are we? We're with everybody else, probably on our faces. It says here that all the nations will be gathered together. Basically, every single person who has ever existed is going to be gathered together. And we are in our rightful places. We are probably on our faces 
just scared to death because we are seeing God. And the thing is, you can think of all the, all the kings, all the rulers of the past, you know, Napoleon, Hitler, Alexander the Great, any other, you know, all the leaders of our times, good or bad, you know, we are all going to be there together. Right? Nobody is you know, going to be standing up before God because we are all, you know, we are all created beings. Right? We, we are all going to be humbled. And the thing is, he's got, what he's going to do is he's going to ask us to come up one by one and check you know, if our names are written in the book of life. And he's going to separate us. One to the left, one to the right. On the left are the goats. And on the right are the sheep. Basically, the sheep are those that who are Christians who will be going into heaven. And the ones on the left are the goats who will not. And if you can imagine yourself in that position, right? That it is your time to go up there before your creator, before your judge, and thinking, no, I'm going to be okay, right? I'm going to be okay. But the thing is, reality sinks in, and really, you're not, right? And that's, a, that's the scary thing. That's why I want to talk about it this morning, is that, you know, this verse gives us a description of what it looks like, right? These people who are deceived. And the thing is, this is the scary thing about this, is that, you know, these people that they describe in these verses are not the atheists, you know, are not the Muslims or the Buddhists or those that reject Jesus, you know, clearly rejects Jesus, right? Because the thing is, right, we, all, we all understand what this Bible teaches, is that Jesus is the only way. And the thing is, these people... They thought that they were going to heaven, right? They call Jesus Lord, right? And so they have an idea of who Jesus is, right? These, these are the folks that are in the churches. These are the folks that are probably even involved in church activities, right? Just like you and I, right? That's the scary part about this is that, you know, it's sad to think that maybe even modern churches nowadays are packed with people who are not Christians, but don't even know it. Right? And so, the thing is, this is the ultimate deception, right? The thing is, we can be fooled about a lot of things, and it's okay. But the thing is, this is the one thing that matters for eternity. And so, this morning, I'm looking into, uh, dive deeper into these verses, and talk about you know, the descriptions of these people, right? the descriptions of those that are deceived, and try to ask the Lord, God, these are the descriptions of the deceived. Do I match this? You know, where, where am I? Help us to take a look at us in an honest way. So, so we're going to go back to verse 7. Uh, or, excuse me, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And we'll take a look at the first of the four descriptions of the deceived, okay? So Matthew seven twenty-one. It says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Alright, so the first description of the deceived is that they have the right knowledge. Right? They have the right knowledge. Okay. And so, what they call, how do we get this? They call Jesus Lord. Alright, that's the correct name for Jesus. Right? Lord, calling Jesus Lord means that He is the Lord and we are the servants. Right, that he has authority, that he has jurisdiction over everything. 
And not just this. They, what do they call him? Lord, Lord. Right? They repeat that word. Emphasizing that they understand. You know, he's not just a Lord. Or he's not just a king. But he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Right? So they understand that he has the ultimate authority, the ultimate power. And so again, we talked about this. Clearly this person you know, must be educated in the things of God. Right? Someone that has probably gone to church. Someone that has probably even been involved in church activities. No, not an outright atheist. Not an outright anti-God. Right? This person probably has read the scriptures. Has probably can even teach uh, the scriptures. And you know, I, I know people that can definitely defend the Bible. But they're not Christians. And I know even for me, my testimony, when I was early on in, in high school, you know, b- being thrown into leadership and leading the youth ministry, even being able to, to ask, uh, to speak, knowing full well that I was not a Christian. I was living the part on the outside, but on the inside I know I was not. Right. And so... The thing is, it, it makes us wonder, how is this possible, right? How is it possible that someone can agree with the things of God, agree with the Bible, call Jesus Lord, but still not be a Christian? Right? How is that possible? All right, James puts it in this way. All right, uh, James 2, 19. And I have it up here. It says, right, James is saying, you believe that God is one, you do well. Right? Even the demons believe and shudder. Alright, so what is James trying to say? James is trying to say, hey, you believe? You say you believe? That's great. Guess what? Even the devils, they know Jesus is Lord. They can see it. And the thing is, they believe it and they're even afraid of God. But yet, what is the difference? The devils, they don't live like it, right? They're still doing the things that they're doing. They have the knowledge in their head, but they're still, still doing the things that they're doing, right? And so what is the difference, right? What is the difference between the ways the demons believe and genuine faith? Right? What is the difference between you know, just having head knowledge, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, but having genuine belief? Uh, to illustrate this, just think of a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I have the next picture. All right, think of a tightrope, okay? How many of you guys have been to Niagara Falls? Anybody? Right, pretty amazing, right? It's a, a, you know, it's a testament to God's power. And the thing is, you know, think of a tightrope across there, and near the edge is a tightrope walker. All right, and he asks the crowd, all right, how many of you guys think that I can walk across this tightrope? Right? The crowd goes, of course. You know, I know you, man. You're you're the world's most famous tightrope walker. You know, I've seen you do it before on the news. I've heard about you doing it. I've seen you do it many times before. I think you can do it. You know, I believe in you. And then he asks the crowd, okay, so how many of you guys think that I can push a wheelbarrow across this tightrope walker? Uh, uh, this tightrope, excuse me. And then the crowd goes, hey. You, I'm sure you still can. You know, you are you are the man, right? You are the tightrope walking man, and you can probably push a wheelbarrow across. That's not a problem for you. And then he asks the final question. He asks, "All right, how many of you guys are willing to get into the wheelbarrow? All right, get into the wheelbarrow. Right? That is trusting. That is genuine faith. Okay? You can believe all these things. You can believe that he can walk across." You can believe that Jesus, you know, believe all these facts about Jesus, 
But the thing is, until you get into the wheelbarrow, until you trust Him with your life, it's not genuine. Right? It's not genuine. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Right? To pick up our cross and to follow Him. Right? That's the difference between you know, genuine belief or just mental you know, head knowledge. Right? And so, we take a look at the first description. It talks about you know, these people, they have the right knowledge. They have the right head knowledge. Right, number two, um, let's go into the second description. It talks about it in Matthew 7, 22. Uh, we're going to cover the second half of 21 later on. We're going to go back to that. So let's jump to 22, verse 22. It says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? All right, so the second description of the deceived is, they have some good works. Right? They have some good works. And so let's take a look at what they said. Right? In verse 22 it says, They prophesied. They prophesied, excuse me. And prophesied, uh, the act of prophesying, it doesn't actually mean, necessarily mean to foretell, you know, to foretell the future. Uh, but it can also mean foretelling. Right? Not, so not just predicting what the future holds, but it can be somebody that is proclaiming God's word. Right? It can be a preacher. Right, uh, that is a, a gift of prophecy as well, uh, preaching and uh, making plain the word of God. What else did they do? They said they cast out demons. All right, they, they said they called out demons out of people who were possessed. Right, they had that power. And also, they said they had they performed mighty works. All right, not just everyday good works, but these were mighty works. These are extravagant works. Probably things that were very public, very grand in scale, that people can see and acknowledge and say, hey man, that, that guy is legit, right? Yeah, he did something amazing, right? So these grand works. So they prophesied, they cast out demons, they did mighty works. And the thing is, they did it in Jesus' name. Right? They're claiming that it's not, they just didn't do these works for humanity's sake or for social justice, but they're claiming it under Christianity. And so you might be thinking, all right, did they really do this stuff? Right? Can somebody who is an unbeliever really do this stuff? And as I was researching, uh, I, 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 realized, I came across uh, various op- uh, opinions. And basically it comes down to three options, right? So number one, yes, they did do it under God's power. Number two is, yes, they did do it, but under Satan's power. Or number three is, no, they didn't. All right? And so... As I was thinking about and uh, thinking about it and thinking about these options, the thing is, you know, I think they're all possible because we see that God has used unbelievers to do works like this before, right? Uh, in Matthew 10, right, it talks about how Jesus gave the authority to the twelve disciples to go out, cast out demons, to heal, to uh, do all these mighty works. And who was amongst them? Right? Judas, right? Who would eventually betray him and show his true self. Right? He also was amongst the twelve. He also had this power. And so, you know, there's other there's other examples in scripture as well where God uses clearly unregenerate sinners, clearly people who are non Christian, to do these mighty works, to, to display his glory. So the first option, you know, yes, they, they, they probably did it under God's power. That, that's possible. Can they do it under Satan's power? 
Now we see it many times, right? Satan is the ultimate deceiver. And he can cast out demons to deceive people to think that they are done by God. You know, it is very likely. Um, and so even number three, it, it is possible they might be, uh, they might not have done it. But the thing is, I think the important thing to think about is that they themselves thought that they did it. Right? They were convinced that they did these acts, that they did them in Jesus' name, and that they were saved, and that they were in for, that they're in for a shock. All right? And what this tells us right, is that just because we have some good works under our belt doesn't necessarily mean that we are Christians for sure. Right? Don't be deceived, friends. Right? Don't think that just because you have some good works or when you compare yourselves to other people and we look a little bit better, it does not mean that we're necessarily Christians. Right? I know for me in, in the States, one of the things uh, to reach out to people is to be really nice to them. Right? Be super nice and uh, be so nice to them that they would stop and think, why are you so nice? And then I can tell them about Jesus. Right? And uh, the thing is, uh, coming to Japan, that does not work here. Because they out-nice us. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you try. They are just so genuinely loving and giving. And any gift that you give them, they give something better back to you. And it's an endless cycle, you know. And so it just goes to show, like, just, you know, we can all think of unbelievers, non-Christians, who have done some amazing things in this world, you know, for others. And so and who would put us to shame, really? Um, and so it, this is not the measuring stick for whether or not we are genuinely Christians. All right. Something else to note is very interesting is that all these acts that they talk about, right, uh, preaching, casting out demons, or uh, doing mighty works, those are all very public, very you know, grand works that other people can see. And I think it's very easy for us to be Christian in front of other people, right? It's very easy for me to stand up here and to share the word or to play a guitar or do whatever in front of people. But it's a lot harder for me to have, you know, to do things when no one is watching, when only God is watching, right? Uh, the, uh, the late John Wooden, an all-time great college basketball coach and a devout follower of Jesus, uh, he said this, He said, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. The true test of a a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. And so basically, that is a better measuring stick of who you are. You know, when no one is watching, when it's just you and God, what are you doing? What are you watching? You know, what are you doing with your time when no one is around, when the boss is not looking? Right. That is truly a better measuring stick of who you are uh, at the heart. Okay. And so that's number two. Uh, you know, second description of the deceived is you know, they have some good works. And so you look at the first two. Right? They have the right knowledge. They have some good works. Now the thing is, those things you can describe a, a Christian too, right? right? You, hopefully, right, a, a Christian has the right knowledge. A Christian has some good works. And so you can start to see why someone would be confused or deceived or would be fooled to think that they're a Christian when they're not. You know, they have these two things in common. And so the next two things that we're going to look at is really what sets them apart. Right? It's really what sets them apart from uh, a, a, a Christian and a non-Christian. All right, let's take a look at verse 23. Jesus says to them, 
Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. The third verse, uh, I mean, excuse me, the third, third description of the deceived is, there is no relationship with Jesus. Or they have no relationship with Jesus. Or when Jesus says that, I never knew you, he's not saying that he doesn't know who they are. Because obviously God knows everything, right? God created everything. And he knows who that person is. When Jesus says, I never knew you, right? The Bible uses the word know, not just of knowledge, but of intimacy, right? Intimacy, that there is no personal relationship with Jesus, right? And uh, even in Genesis, when it talks about how Adam knew his wife and they conceived, right? That word knew talks about intimate, physical intimacy, right? And so someone who is deceived does not have a personal relationship with God. Right? They don't have a personal relationship with God. And the thing is, they can know a lot about God, but they don't know God. Right? There is a huge difference between the two. All right? And so, uh, to illustrate the difference, how many of you guys know who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Right? Michael Jordan, right? Everyone agree? Right, you guys, everybody know Michael Jordan? Right? What, what number did he wear in, in the NBA? Anybody know? Right? 23, and what else? And 45, right? All right, what team did he play for? What teams did he play for? Bulls and the Wizards, right? Anybody know what, what pick he was and what draft? Not, number, not second pick. Third pick, right? Third pick, right? Akeem Olajuwon was number one, and then Sam Bowie was number two, right? The biggest bust. And then number three is Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan, number three pick in 1984 draft. And uh, you, anybody know his birthday? Big fans? February 17th. Right? The reason I know is that's my birthday, too. So that's my, that's my uh, claim to fame. And so, you know, I, I've read his biographies before. You know, he is super competitive. He competes over everything. You know, you read about uh, teammates that talk about him, like they would stay up late playing cards because he refuses to lose. And so uh, they don't let him stop. Uh, they don't let them to stop playing uh, until, they, until he wins, right? And so I know a lot about him. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys do too, right? And uh, how many of you guys know him? Right, probably not, right? And so we, the thing is we, know, we can know a lot about him, but we don't know him. Right? We don't know him personally. And the thing is that's what God is talking about is you can know a lot about me. You can come to church. You can learn a lot about someone. You can even read the Bible on your own, and you, can re- and you can read a lot about somebody and learn a lot about God. But the thing is, do you really know Him? Do you have that intimacy with Him? Right? Like, do you love spending time with Him? Right? If you truly know God intimately, and you know what He did, the thing is, it cannot, you cannot help it, but your lives would be completely different. Right? If you really, really know God, right? if you knew that... He was so loving that even though you were dead in your sin, even though that you can do nothing but sin, but God still in His love came down and sent His Son to die in our place. Right? That we owe Him everything and He owes us nothing. And yet, He still loves us so much. He still loves you so much. Right? When you realize that and you get that, it's so much more than just, okay, now I have to come to church Sunday mornings, or now I have to do this, or I have to do that. 
Right? It's so much more than that. It changes your whole life. Right? It changes the way you live, your purpose. Right? There is that desire to get to know Him more. It's kind of like any relationship, right? Like if, with, with, with the niece, like if all it was was, okay, I would learn different facts about her, and then I'm done. Right? I, okay, I, I'm required to learn two things about her, and then I'm, I can check it off the list, and I can go do other things. But is that a genuine relationship? But no, like after work, I, I love to come home. I cannot wait to come home and spend time with her, hear about her day, and just spend, just, yeah, just be able to spend to get to know her, not to hear about her fears, to hear about the, her desires, to make her happy. Stuff like that is a genuine relationship. Compare that to, you know, any relationship in your lives, right? That's the way it should be, but so much more with Jesus, right? And so there's such a big difference between just knowing, having head knowledge about God and really being able to know God intimately. All right. And so you know, we went over um, the third description. Uh, the fourth description uh, goes in, we see it in Matthew 7.23. Right. So let's turn to Matthew 7.23 and it reads... Then again, it says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Alright, so the fourth description of the deceived is that they live a life of lawlessness. Okay? They're saying they live a life of lawlessness. And even if you go back to verse 21, it talks about the one, the, the people who go into heaven are the ones who does the will of my Father. Right, so basically it's saying the same thing, but in the positive light. So those who are going into heaven, those are the ones who do the will of, their fa- of the Father. And those who don't go into heaven are the ones who live a life of lawlessness. Okay. And so what is lawlessness? Well, 1 John 3, 4 gives us a better understanding of what law- lawlessness is. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Right? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Right? They live a life of sin. Right? Right? Pastor and teacher John MacArthur describes lawlessness like this. Right? He says, The term lawlessness conveys more than transgressing God's law. It conveys the ultimate sense of rebellion, living as if there was no law or ignoring what laws exist. Right? Basically, it's more than just breaking the law, right? But it is a living in a way that God's law doesn't even matter, as if God's law doesn't exist, right? And when it talks about practicing lawlessness in verse uh, 23, right? Those who depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, right? That word practice is so much more than just, okay, sinning once or twice. It's not about that, right? It's about a deliberate, it's a pattern of deliberate and habitual act of rebellion, It's a pattern. It's a lifestyle. And their life is characterized by deliberate and habitual sin. Unrepentant sin. And so, these people described here, they might have some good works. They might have some good works, but their lives are characterized by sin. Their lives are characterized as if they're living a life where God doesn't exist. Where they are their own God. Where it doesn't matter. 
right? And right here is the, the part where it's easy for us to make a, a mistake, right? It's easy for us to think, okay, well, God is calling us to be perfect. And if we sin, then does, does that mean that I'm not a Christian? Right? Obviously not, right? right? The Bible is very clear that you know, it is not perfection that is a, a requirement to be a Christian, right? You are not required to be perfect in order to be a Christian, right? The Bible is not calling for that. The Bible is saying that if you are a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ Jesus, then your life should have a certain direction. Right? If you truly believe and you truly have a genuine faith, your life should have a, a direction of holiness. Right? You want to be more like Christ. Right? So it's not about perfection. It is about direction. Right? And so what is the pattern of your life? Right? And is your life a life full of desires to please God or is it uh, a life that is lived to please yourself right and so that's definitely something uh, to take a look at you know and so here we have the four descriptions of the deceived right that we get from these verses and so that they have you know they might have the right knowledge they might have some good works but the thing is they have no relationship with Jesus Right, there's no real genuine intimacy with Jesus and they live a life that's characterized by lawlessness right, their, their, life, their life is characterized by sin and so if this is a description of someone who is deceived then what is the description of a saved? what is, what is the description of somebody who is a genuine Christian? Right, I love this quote from, uh, from Pastor John Piper and uh, this is a quote from John Piper, not our John Piper, uh, Pastor John Piper in uh, Minnesota. All right, he says this, If I asked you, how do you know if you were born from your mother's womb, what would you say? You would answer, I'm alive. Right? I exist outside my mother's womb because I'm here. You would not say, I know I was born because I have a birth certificate at home. Or you wouldn't say, I know I was alive because, you know, the doctor has proof at the hospital. Right? You would simply say, I know I was born because I am alive. And so many people, when asked, how do you know if you are born again? How do you know if you are a Christian? Instead of saying, I know him, I love him, I trust him, I hope in him, I follow him. They say, I did what I have to do to be a Christian. I got baptized, or I signed a card, or I walked an aisle, or I still have a card in my wallet. Right? And so the point is, you know, when you ask yourself, why are you a Christian? If you have to go all the way back and think, oh, because I made a profession, because I signed a card, I walked an aisle, that would give you that would, I would encourage you to think about that, really. You know, if that's your only evidence of being a Christian, and from that point all the way to now, there's no evidence of any fruit in your life, you know, I would encourage you in a loving way to really evaluate, you know, where you are at with the Lord, because, you know, we don't want it to be when it's too late, right? But instead, hopefully you can say, you know, you can point over to last week and say, hey, you know, I realized, hey, I've sinned, that I, I fell down, I was convicted. And the thing is, I asked God for repentance and I'm, and I'm in the right direction, right? Or there's fruits, of, there's fruits of righteousness, there's fruits of the Spirit in you, right? There's evidences of the Lord, not just 25 years ago when you made the decision, but last week, yesterday, this morning, right? It's a continual lifestyle, 
And so objectively, right, we know we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Right? That Christ rose from the dead and that He paid the penalty for our sins. And that if we received Him by faith, we have eternal life. That's set and done. Right? But the thing is, how do you know that you truly are saved? How do you know that you've truly placed your trust in Jesus? Well, I would recommend uh, just going through 1 John and getting alone with this book. Right? And uh, we don't have the time to go in, de- in detail, but just 1 John is all about what is, how does a Christian look like. Right? And it's a short book. I think it's like five or six. I think it's five chapters or six chapters. And, and you know, it talks about it. In, in chapter 1, it talks about you know, a true Christian walks and practices light and truth. A true Christian confesses sin. They walk like Jesus walked. Right? They love the brethren. They love other believers. Right? A true Christian does not love the world. Right? A true Christian continues in the faith. They persevere through, through trials. A true Christian loves through action. And they recognize authority of Scripture and they keep His commandments. Right? And so don't take my word for it. Right? I encourage you guys you know, to really get alone with this book. Right? Get alone with this book. Especially just read First John. Go through it. And let that be not a checklist. You know, we're not trying to, okay, check this, I'm done, move on to the next one. But really use this as a guide for the Spirit uh, to open up maybe different areas in your life that maybe God has not shined into it yet. Uh, to really be able to evaluate yourself in light of Scripture. And I encourage you guys to really get alone with it because the thing is it's very easy for us to be Deceived not by ourselves but by others, right? Other people can tell you and encourage you things that might not be true, that might be contrary to what Scripture says. Right? Um, I was Anissa and I we just watched uh, this movie called The Help. Anybody guys? Any guys watch that movie? Really good movie. I really encourage you guys to watch it. And it's about the '60s in uh, in the South, in Mississippi, uh, during the Civil Rights Movement. And the thing is, what got me was these were Christians who was supporting separate but equal. Right? These were the Christians who felt that it was the word of God that was supporting that position, that it was okay to separate the blacks and the whites. Right? And the thing is, if you really get alone with this book, to try to strip away any outside voices, there is no way you can get that from this book. There is no way that you can read white supremacy from this book. Right? And the thing is, the same thing with any other topic. It's very easy for us to be led astray by the talks of the latest culture, you know, our, our culture. And so really encourage you guys, you know, just to get alone with God, to be, just take His word, uh, to read it, to really pray over it, and ask God to reveal to you. Right. And so, you know, in closing, uh, I just want to say, you know, like, this is something that was very hard for me too. Uh, just uh, the past few weeks, uh, reading this through, and you know, even uh, talking to some of my accountability group guys. You know, uh, it's so easy for me to be a Christian in front of other people, and uh, it, it's just something that God is always working in us. And the thing is, God, the the Scripture is constantly uh, encouraging us you know, to test our faith, right? To uh, to to check ourselves, to make sure that we are in the faith. And I think it's a good thing. You know, it, it's hard sometimes for nowadays to, to shake other people 
It's easy for us to just gather together and say, hey, you're okay, I'm okay, let's all, you know, let's all be okay together. Um, but really, in the end, we know the truth. We know that we are all going to be standing face to face with our Maker. You know, there's nobody else around. It's just us and Him. And I want you guys, I want me, uh, to be right, right now, before it's too late. Right? And so, yeah, I just want to uh, take this time. Uh, if you would bow with me, and uh, we'll just uh, uh, give you guys some time uh, just to talk to God. As uh, uh, the worship team comes up, they're going to play a little bit in the background. And just spend time uh, just talking to God. Really ask Him. Really ask Him if, do I love you? Do you really love Jesus? Do you realize what He has done for you? Right? When you think about what He did on the cross, what He did uh, for us while we were still sinners, right? Just, uh, just talk with Him at this time. Lord, uh, right now who uh, might be questioning uh, their salvation, might not be sure where they're at with you. God, in your word, you said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God, we just take this claim, Lord, for those that, uh, that might feel like that they need to confess, they need to ask God for forgiveness and ask him to come into your life God you said that those that come after you that they would be filled and so we just pray for that promise now Lord God we pray Lord that you would give us that clarity give us that understanding God it is not in and of ourselves Lord it is all be it is all you God that when we stand before you God doesn't matter how many good works we've done doesn't matter what we've done in our lives to, to think that we might earn heaven we will not we all fall short uh, but it is because of Christ Lord so Father God we just pray Lord that this reality uh, would not be a reality for any of us here God that we would be so sure Lord that we are saved because of our intimate relationship with you uh, because our lives reflected Father God may you may you speak truth to us Father Thank you, Father.